Check, check. Good morning, Harvest family. It is great to have you all here today. Welcome. If you're a guest with us today, welcome. Great to see you. Thank you for joining us this morning. And as uh, has already been mentioned, I'm excited that we are going to be taking time to install Dan Pfeiffer as an elder this morning. Um, just seen the call of God on Dan's life for some time as a to be a leader here in this house to help move things forward, to take ground for the kingdom of God. And what an awesome thing that is. Uh, before I, we install and, and pray over Dan, I just wanted to share a few things about him. Uh, in addition to the scriptural qualifications of being an elder, Dan has a lot of great characteristics as a leader that I've gotten to witness firsthand. I remember it was either four or five years ago, Clem Ferris, who's one of the prophetic brothers in Truebridge, uh, came and prophesied over Dan and Karen and prophesied over them leadership. And it's one of those things that I remembered, like, okay, I'm going to tuck this into the, um, and just try to remember and see what God brings about in it. Uh, at the same time, I asked Dan to begin to lead some of the men's ministry events, which Dan led faithfully and well, I want to say for a year and a half to two years. And it's interesting, now we have another Dan who stepped in to help lead the men's ministry. So thank you, Dans, for helping lead our, leading our men. It's a good time. About 15 months ago, we felt led to ask Dan to join the elder team, and he became an elder in training. And so during that time period, uh, when we invite someone to consider being a part of the elder team, they join the meetings, and they observe and listen and, and do offer what insight they have. Um, but it's a testing time. It's a time to see if it's a good fit for them being a part of the team. It's a time of testing to see if they truly want to be part of the team and just make sure it's going to be a good fit. And so 15 months later, here we are. So we're excited to be installing Dan today. It wasn't too long into him participating at the team meetings that it was clear to me that Dan was going to be an excellent addition to our leadership team here at Harvest. And since you aren't all at the meetings and maybe you haven't gotten to know Dan as much as I've had the privilege to, I want to share what I know of Dan as a leader. First, he is enthusiastic about what happens in the church of Jesus Christ. And when he attends our meetings, you know how, like, meetings can be a drag sometimes? I mean, raise your hand if you realize meetings can be a drag. All right. We have some honest people. That's good. Uh, Dan has brought a level of enthusiasm to our eldership meetings that is palpable. Like, he's excited to see what God is doing. He's excited to see the kingdom of God grow and advance and expand here in Frazee. And so I appreciate Dan's heart and enthusiasm because, you know what? The Church of Jesus Christ has the most important mission in the world. Amen? And here in Frazee, we get to be a part of that. And so we need enthusiasm. We need people who are going to bring ideas and bring their heart and, and who they are to the table. Uh, secondly, Dan is insightful. More than once, we, when we've been in a spot of wondering, do we take this way on an issue? Do we go that way on an issue? Dan has said, well, have you considered this third way? And as a leader, I genuinely appreciate that because sometimes you get thinking about one thing and you're like, oh, it has to be this way. And Dan's like, well, have you considered this? And I just believe that God has given Dan a, a spiritual gift of discernment to be able to offer, well, hey, why don't you consider this third way? And that has been a blessing to the team as well. Third, and what I consider most importantly of who Dan is, 
Dan is a humble guy. Um, while he's enthusiastic, insightful, a man who honors the word of God, he's the, not the kind of person who's going to take that knowledge or gifting and try to look better than others or try to make you feel small as a part of it. While he does have an opinion and a good opinion, he's not going to force his agenda or his way on the people around him. He leads with humility, which is the marking of a great leader. Um, and so, oh, uh, Dave Jopp and I were joking this morning because Dave actually called him Dan Piffer for a long time. How long was it, Dave? Months, he said, months. Called him Dan Piffer. And I think I called you Piffer as well for a long time. And then so many people have said Pfeiffer. Okay, everyone, it's Dan Pfeiffer. But if you get it wrong, he's not going to correct you. <laughs> Because he's humble, and he's, he, you know, I'm sure he's, it's people been getting it wrong all your life, probably, so bless you, Dan. Uh, so anyway, Dan has already been a strong addition to the elder team and what he's been bringing, and he's also just been a friend and an encouragement to me through some hard times already. So I'm excited to have Dan joining along with us as an elder. I'm also excited to have his wonderful bride, Karen, alongside him, um, in addition to our uh, roughly every other week elder meetings as elders. We also have a regular meeting, roughly monthly, where we meet as elders and wives uh, as a leadership team and um, just hear what God is doing in the church and um, go through things that way as well because we all know that our better halves see things that we don't see. And so we appreciate that wisdom and that insight that our wives bring to the table as well. And so if you don't know, um, Karen... Uh, just as I married up, Dan married up as well. <laughs> and and uh, actually, I was privileged to be able to marry you guys, which was awesome. Um, but Karen is also, uh, if you don't know about all of her accomplishments and the different things that she leads in the community, she is a strong leader in our community as well. And so these two really are a dynamic, God-honoring couple. And I'm very happy to have their influence here at the church. So, uh, while we are installing Dan officially as an elder today, I'm excited to have both of their influence and blessing as we work together in this community to transform Frazee and its surrounding communities with the love and hope of Jesus Christ. Let's give them a clap, all right? And with that, Pastor Larry Dorman is going to come share some insights about leadership as well, and then we will have Dan and Karen up and pray for them. Well, I'm really... I think I'm, you got me? All right. I'm excited to be a part of setting in Dan Pfeiffer. And I got one thing right this morning already. So uh, I've seen over the years in uh, church, churches and church leadership that there sometimes is a mentality that Jesus came, did what he did, which was awesome. He went to heaven and he left the church to carry on in his place. And sometimes leadership teams have this idea that he's gone and now we lead for him. That is not the biblical view of leadership in his church. Somebody once said, and I think it's a great quote, Jesus is not the retired founder of the firm. He's the living head of the church. So Harvest uh, believes that 
Um, I appreciate Ryan. I've known him for years, Joe before him, and so forth. This is a church where the leadership team, the elders, uh, they have a heart that Jesus, this is your church, Jesus is alive, and our goal is not to run it for him. Our goal is to let him run it through us. So elders want to hear the voice of God. They want to let the Holy Spirit speak to their hearts and have the Lord's way in the church. So uh, that's foundational, and I'm excited that Dan's becoming a part of that. The New Testament pattern is elders are the spiritual leaders. They lead, feed, and protect. Those are the three words you could think of when you think of elders. They lead, they spiritually feed, and they protect sound doctrine in the church. We see in Acts chapter 6, the Lord added the ministry of deacons. When the elders were getting distracted from their primary position, they, they set the deacons in to take care of the practical needs of the church. Back then it was widows and their daily distribution of food in Acts chapter 6. And there's great deacons here at Harvest as well that are doing that. So what a team, elders and deacons. And let's have Dan come forward. And as he is, Dan and Karen, I want to read some verses. This is... This is not just setting in uh, another man as an elder. This is a body-wide event. This is all of us. We're in this together. Amen? All right, we're going to actually talk about that a little. I want to read some verses to you. Yeah, you guys could stay there. In 1 Thessalonians, this involves everybody in the church. And this is a word to all of you. Dear brothers and sisters, this is coming from God through the Apostle Paul to the Thessalonian church. Dear brothers and sisters, Honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect. Will you say with me, great respect? And wholehearted love. Because of their work and live, live peacefully with each other. So as we set them in and pray over them, I just want to let those, those verses reverberate in you. The job of the body of Christ, all of us, is to appreciate our leaders, to show them great respect. Um, can I stand here before you and say, Ryan and Jess and Cal and Tam and, and now Dan and Karen, they are perfect leaders. They, they have no human qualities anymore. <laughs> so therefore, respect them and love them. No, that's, that's not... We all know that's foolish. Uh, we all have weaknesses. We all... That's why we need great grace for each other. You show them great respect and wholehearted love because God's saying, do that. That's what causes health in the body of Christ when we respect and love our leaders. So with that, let's um, have Ryan let you say who you want up here. And Church, if you'd extend your hands towards these guys, we're just going to bless them. And Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, once again for Dan and Karen. Father, I thank you, Jesus, for uh, where they're at today, Lord. Father, for their hearts for you, their passion for you, their love for you, God. Lord, I thank you that they have been sent, Lord, to lead, feed, and protect this body. And I pray, God, that as uh, Dan is installed today, Lord, for just a fresh anointing from your Holy Spirit to fall upon him, God. Lord, to lead with vision, to lead with authority. Lord, to, uh, to teach. Lord God, I, I thank you for that. And I bless him now as a leader at Harvest Fellowship Church in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Amen. So, Lord, we just uh, appreciate who you are and how you move and how you work and that you have put your hand upon this couple, upon this man. Lord, I know um, Ryan and, and the church have been looking for who you are pointing at, who you are shining your light on. And we thank you for Dan and Karen. We thank you, Lord, for the, the trial period that affirmed that uh, your hand is on this man to be an elder at this church. So, recognizing you, Lord Jesus, as the living head of Harvest Church, we, in your name, set in Dan Pfeiffer as an elder here to shepherd, to serve, to love your sheep as you do. We bless him now and set him in. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Amen. Is it okay for me to preach now, Ryan? Okay. <laughs> All right, we're going to start this morning with a quiz. How many like pop quizzes? You like pop quizzes? Oh, yeah, they do. All right, either you're crazy or you're lying, but anyway, no. True or false? It is important to love what God loves and hate what he hates. It is true. That is not a tr trick question. If you think of what God loves, something that might pop into your mind right away is people. God loves people. God so loved the world that he gave his son. If you think of what he hates, he hates sin, he hates evil, he hates injustice. Uh, nobody here wants to say, well, I love that. I love evil. I love injustice. No, you love. Our call is to love what God loves, to hate what he hates. Um, God has actually put in us the mind of Christ so that we could do those things and grow in those things. So Ephesians 5.25, you don't have to open your Bibles. I'm just going to read this. Pretty familiar verse to many. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Now, we are not at a wedding. We're not at a marriage retreat. Often when this verse is quoted, it, the emphasis on, guys, this is what we need to do, right? And we do. But I want to put the emphasis on first, what did Jesus do? Jesus loved his church. Matter of fact, Jesus still loves his church. Amen? Now, we see in the Bible church with a big C. That's the worldwide church of God, not that denomination. It's Christians everywhere around the world. When you were baptized, water baptized, you were baptized into the body of Christ. You weren't baptized into Harvest Church or Country Faith Church or any... You were baptized into the big church, became part of the family of God. How many are, could sing from their hearts, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. That's church with a big C. That's in the Bible. But you know, there's, um, there's church with a little C. Because God's plan, when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, his plan wasn't, I'm going to see people get saved. I'm going to move by my spirit and save people all over the world and have them live as individuals unconnected to other Christians. So we're just going to have millions and millions of Christians on their own living the Christian life. 
How many know that doesn't work? And how many know Jesus is really smart? He's a genius. So he builds his church. His plan was that the gospel would go forth, people would get saved, and they would congregate in local churches, communities of believers, where we all work together, love each other, and help each other grow in Christ and serve him with all of our hearts. That's his plan. And I want to tell you something. Harvest Church is not a perfect church. It certainly isn't this morning because I'm here. But actually, it wasn't last week either when I wasn't here because you were here. (laughs) We are not a perfect church, but we are being perfected. The Holy Spirit is moving among us. And that's what God's plan is. He's going to take, save imperfect people, and he's going to transform them into the image of Jesus Christ. So I want to say this morning that Christ, God, loves his church, and Christ loves this church. Harvest Church in Frazee, he loves this church. This is a church that is faithful to be preaching his word and proclaiming the truth of his gospel. How many know that churches all over the world are falling away as Paul prophesied would happen. Churches all over the world are falling away and departing from the orthodoxy of Scripture, the, the, the true interpretation of God's Word. Churches are departing from that. And then we have things going on that are, are grieving God. He does not love that. But he loves when people love him and respond to his mercy and grace and give their hearts to him and love his word and revere his word. And with all of their heart, they want to remain true to the teaching of scripture. And this church is that kind of church. And Jesus loves this church. You can say amen to that. He really loves you guys. He loves this church. I want to read a few verses about church in Ephesians. Ephesians is a fantastic book that tells us a lot of Jesus' building plan for his church that he loves. Husbands love you as Christ loved the church and still loves her. So we're going to start with Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21. You know, when, when the scriptures were originally written, they were not written with chapters and verses. Those are put in there for us to be able to reference. It was just the letter Paul wrote to the church that he established in Ephesus. And he prays prior to this verse that, the church would continue to grow and know Christ deeper and deeper. And then he says, glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, verse one, therefore, what is it there for? Because Paul just prayed, may the church glorify the head, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we get the amazing privilege opportunity and responsibility to represent Jesus to the world. Isn't that awesome? We get to show the world what God is like because we know him and he's in us and that's the calling that we have is to represent him and to glorify him means to represent him well. It means to make him look good and that's our responsibility to do. What a privilege. Therefore, how do we glorify the Lord? Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. 
Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves unified, united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. How many know that when churches get into bickering and fighting and and things like that, it just brings the glory level down and we don't represent God well. So Paul is pleading. He had such a heart for Christians, such a heart for Jesus and his church. I beg you, be humble, live a life worthy, forgive, be gentle, be kind. Don't compromise truth, but have mercy and grace for each other and and strive to be united so that you truly glorify the Lord. Let's go on in a few verses later in chapter 11. He continues to reveal his building plan for his church. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to do all the work of the ministry. No, it doesn't say that. Their responsibility is to equip God's people. Who does the work of the ministry? God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of teaching. We will be influenced. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, We will speak the truth in love, growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Oh, that should make you kind of drool. (laughs) Like if you're really hungry, what's your favorite food? My wife and I like a, a, a steak on the grill. We really like a steak dinner once in a while. And if we're really hungry, we'll say, ooh, I can't wait to get home and season that thing, throw it on the grill, cook it just right. This, spiritually, folks, should make us drool. I want to be a part of a church like that. I want to be a, a, a functioning member that's doing my part and seeing Jesus glorified in my church that he's called me to be a part of. Now, I have a confession. It's a true confession. My wife and I got saved in 1977. That would have been 46 years ago this spring. And God moved mightily in our lives and saved us out of a very lost lifestyle. Neither one of us had a Christian background or growing up in a Christian home. And we were, I would say, radically converted. And we just, we're we're just doing it all for the Lord. We're going the distance. We really want to serve God with all of our heart. It wasn't very long where we had a a sense of a full-time call on our lives into ministry and, and so forth. But I want to tell you, I developed a very keen gift. And I developed a, a, a set of lenses that were so accurate at seeing the faults in Christians and churches. I mean, I was so good at it. I, I'd go to a church and I, I would, it wouldn't take me very long to see, ooh, that's bad and that's wrong and they could do this better. And, and I was way more critical than I was loving of the church of Jesus Christ. 
And of course I didn't know it. I was young, zealous, and so forth. And then a wise, older Christian man obviously read me. I don't think it was that hard to do um, because I expressed myself freely too often. You know, it says in Proverbs, if you keep your mouth shut, people will think you're smart. I never knew that. Um, But anyway, and this wiser old saint said to me, you know, you seem very good at seeing the faults and weaknesses in churches. But honestly, that's not too difficult. How are you at helping make the church stronger? Being part of the solution, not just one who recognizes the problems. I mean, those words cut me right to the heart, and I knew he was seeing something that I had not been seeing. And then it was shortly after that that the Holy Spirit spoke to my own heart and asked me a very simple question. The Holy Spirit, I didn't hear his audible voice, but I knew very clearly that he was asking me, what would my church be like if everyone was like you? I remember, the, I just remember that so vividly and it rang in my ears for, for months. What would my church be like if everyone was like you? Let me tell you right away what I knew he didn't mean. He didn't mean what would my church be like if everyone was like you in personality and gifting. It's like, ah, that'd be terrible. My wife can only handle one of me and most other people. Uh, no, that's not what he was saying. He was asking, what would my church be like if everybody was like you in character? Let's just put up a slide. I think I missed the slide. Every Christian. So uh, he didn't mean gifting. He didn't mean personality. So because the 1 Corinthians, Paul goes extensively into We all need each other. Everybody is needed. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The ears can't say to, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye. No, we're all different. We all have different giftings. And every Christian, no matter what our personality or gifting, is needed. Every Christian needs the church, right? So we're not a bunch of individuals out there trying to do it on our own. That's not God's plan. And every Christian is needed, Everybody needs the church, and, and the church needs every Christian to be an active part to make the church healthy and strong. Okay, so what he meant was, what would the church be like if everybody was like me in character, attitude, and discipline or practices? So I want to list some of those for you this morning that became very apparent to me that were important. Number one, commitment to Christ and his lordship. A surrendered to Jesus, Christ first, Christ-centered life. Wholehearted, given to the Lord. Not a weekend Christian, not a Sunday Christian, but a a person who lives for Christ 24-7. Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
That was in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, you know, don't worry about your physical needs, but seek God first. And I knew uh, that that's the kind of Christian God was calling me to be and calling his people to be. Life is very complicated sometimes. There's lots of voices. There's lots of things beckoning for our attention, for our devotion, for our priorities. God's called us to be a people that say, Jesus, you're first. Everything else is a distant second. I'm going to seek you first. I'm going to be wholehearted, committed to your lordship in my life. That's number one. Number two, what would my church be like if everybody was like you? Faithful to attend regularly. You know, there's some sad trends happening in the body of Christ now. People who take surveys like Barna and so forth. Um, there's a lot of Christians who think if I attend once a month, that's faithful attendance. And, and listen, please hear my heart here. I am not saying I need to go to church so people see me. The pastors see me, others see me. I'm a really good Christian because I, I go to church regularly. What I am saying is if you love Jesus with all of your heart, you're going to want to go to church. You're going to see the importance of going to church. We just had a men's breakfast at our church uh, Saturday morning and a and, um, week ago, Saturday. Young man that I, I saw grow up in the church, and, and he was... He was going to school, really devoted to paying off his school loans, and he, was, he, he got a job on weekends at a local uh, place there in Bagley. And, and he said he went three, three and a half years, probably attended church. He could count them on one hand because he was working every Saturday and Sunday, going to school the rest of the week, and really bent on paying off his bill so he could be debt-free. And he realized something happened in those three and a half years and that he had just drifted away from his devotion to Christ. He didn't want that, but he found himself. And he made this comment. He said, I know they say you can be a Christian, you don't have to go to church. And that's true. But I'll tell you what, it really helps your spiritual walk if you do. That was just his comment. He wasn't a pastor trying to get people into church. And I'm not a pastor trying to get you into church so that you show up and you're seen. What I am saying is if we could put up uh, that verse in Hebrews, or those verses. This, my friends, is in your Bible. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. See, it was happening back then, New Testament times. Uh, we want to look for ways to motivate each other to love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And I'll tell you, now it's drawing near even closer than when this was written. We want to be faithful in our attendance because we love God, and his word says we need each other. And we want to teach our family and our children that this is an important part of our life. We worship God. We take a day of the week and we go with other Christians and we just say thank you to God and we, we, we express our love to him in worship and we sit under the ministry of the word and it helps us grow. We need it. We want it. It's part of our lives. It's our default setting. Is it wrong to miss once in a while? No, of course not. We're gone. We go on vacation. We do this. But your default setting is not, I'm going to wake up in the morning and see if I feel like going to church. I wake up in the morning, I'm going to church. So... That's number two. Number three, 
You're not just going to church. You are faithful to serve using your gifts and doing your part. It's so easy to think somebody else will do that. But that somebody else is often you. If you will let God speak to your heart. Let me read Ephesians 4.16 one more time. He, Jesus, makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part, say each part, and say, I'm a part. All right. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of life. Everybody here can do something for the Lord. Everybody here can serve in the local congregation and do things that will help other people grow. It could be very practical. It could be doing the coffee bar. It could be doing numerous things. But God is looking for heart, our hearts that say, Lord, I want to be faithful to serve you. I want to do my part. Anybody know what a duffer is? Ooh, that's a negative word. Well, I'll tell you where duffer comes from. When, when you're in a canoe, on a canoe trip, and there's three, there's the guy in the back. He's actually the key guy that's doing most of the steering. There's the guy in the front that's also power stroking and moving along. And, but if there's three, there's one in the middle, usually with the duffel bags, just laying back, doing nothing while the others work. That's where the term comes from. Uh, let your heart say, no duffers. I'm not going to be a duffer at Harvest Church. I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to say, what can I do? Lord, what's my part? Pastor, what can I do? How can I help? Okay, I, don't, I want to be that part that's doing my part. And I'll tell you this, Jesus, Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come into the world to be served. Jesus said, I came to serve and to give my life for others. So you will never, ever experience the full peace, joy of a walk with Christ. You'll never experience the abundant life that he came to give if you don't serve because he calls every one of us to serve somehow. So there you go. Last one. Okay, now we're going to get a little more personal. This is a great subject. People love this. Faithful to tithe and support the ministry of my church. Uh-oh, now you're starting to meddle, Pastor. Now you're meddling. Let me read to you Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? You know who this is speaking? This is God speaking through his prophet, Malachi, to the children of Israel. Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? But you say, in what way have we robbed you? in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that they, there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. I, 
I know when I first got saved and I heard about the tithe that you give 10% of your income to the Lord, it was like, uh, no, I didn't sign up for that. Uh, that's, I started doing the math. I went, oh, that's way too much. I'm not going to do that. And I didn't do it for a while. And then the Holy Spirit began to work on Becky and I and her first, <laughs> which was often the case. And we need to do this. And, uh, and we did. We were young in our faith still. And we began to tithe and have never stopped. And, and I hear sometimes people say, well, that's the Old Testament law. And it is. It, it's, it's part of the Old Testament. But one of the rules of understanding the Old Testament and carrying it over to the New Testament is, is that principle restated and reaffirmed in the New Testament? So you remember Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and he rebuked them and said, you guys are so faithful to tithe everything, your income, your spices, this and that. You give a tenth of everything yet. You leave out mercy, kindness, justice, compassion for people. You should continue to do the first, but don't neglect to do the greater and more important. Jesus reaffirmed the, the tithe. Some people think, well, the law was just so hard that Jesus came and made it easier. That's a real misunderstanding of what he did. He came and fulfilled the law, and he paid the price for our sins so we could be accepted to God but he never ever lowered the bar of devotion to God and sincerely serving him. Matter of fact, he raised the bar in many, many instances. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, it is written, and they knew that, the Jewish people he was preaching to knew this, it is written, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, if a man lusts in his heart, he's already done that. Do you think that's lowering the bar? That's raising the bar. It is written, you shall not murder, but I tell you, if you hate, you've already committed murder. Jesus raised the bar. Why would he ask Israel to give me your first tenth? And then for us in the church who have the tremendous uh, privilege and, and responsibility to see his gospel go to the nations and, and be part of his church that he loves and wants supported. Why would he do less for us or require less of us? Somebody once said, if we do less under grace than Israel did under the law, it's a disgrace. It's important to understand, please, I am not here trying to get your money. I have, I, this is not my heart at all. It's important to understand why does God tell his people, give me the first tenth. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's got it all. He owns everything. He doesn't need it. But he wants us to see his faithfulness. He wants us to see how good he is. This is the only part in all of scripture where Malachi's, where God says, put me to the test. Test me in this and see if I will not return to you. And so um, when we realize that, again, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you know, store up treasures in heaven, not on earth where things are corrupted. But um, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You, you can't serve two masters. You will either love the one and hate the other or be faithful to the one and hate the other. Uh, you can't serve God and he didn't say the devil. 
He said money. Do you know that the thing that competes for our heart devotion more than anything else is wealth? Wealth and possessions. We all have this idea that if I just had more money, more money, more things, I'll be happier and I, and I don't have to worry so much. And that's just not true. God wants us to know he is our provision. He is our provision. And he wants us to see his faithfulness. And he calls us, you know, we're in this process of being transformed to be like him and becoming more like him. I want to ask you this. Is God greedy or generous? He's generous. He wants, to, he wants us to be like him. He wants us to be generous like him. He wants to set us free from clinging and seeking after money, wealth, and possessions. And tithing is a great way. It's his wisdom to do that. So, there's a couple things. The statistics here are not real encouraging as far as how many Christians tithe. But I want to say this. Um, Again, you will never experience the full, close, intimate relationship with Christ if you hold back your finances and don't honor God in this way. You'll never really uh, have that close, intimate relationship. In your heart and your conscience, you'll know something's not right. You're not really doing what you should be doing. So just the blessing now of peace with God and knowing that I'm walking in obedience in this area of my life and and I'm not uh, being greedy and stingy, but I'm giving God my whole heart and I'm giving him also what he's asking of me in finances. And wanting to be generous like him is really a good thing. So the other thing is, and I, I share this with you, I really, really fear for Christians who withhold this area, Christians in America, Christians in the first world where we have so much. If I asked how many drove here in a car today, and then if I asked how many have more than one car, I, we have more than one car. We drove. We have a warm house. We have cupboards full of food. We have, I, I've got a boat. I've got a snowmobile. I've got a four-wheeler. Uh, I, I've got those things. I enjoy those things. I like to hunt and fish. Uh, I I enjoy all those things. Are those evil? Are they wrong? Absolutely not. But they would be if I didn't give God the first tenth. If I was robbing him and living in this wealth. By the way, everybody here is rich. Do you know that? We in America, everybody's rich. World standards, We are rich. If you had those things that I just mentioned, a car, a house, food, running water, hot water even, you're wealthy by the world's standards. And I fear for... I've known doctors who are making 200 plus thousand who have told me, I can't afford to tithe. I'm thinking, whoa, dude, something's really wrong here. So I'm just saying... God, God has blessed us and there's so many things that we have uh, with, to just enjoy. Let's not be a people that rob him, okay? Let's give him that first tenth. So what if, it says in 2 Corinthians, we don't have to put those verses up for time's sake. What if everyone was like you? What if everyone... 
at Harvest Church was like you. I want you to ponder that for a minute. If you're visiting, what if everybody at your church was like you? Here's an awesome, happy thought. If everyone was like some Christians, there would be an amazing, loving, forgiving, praying, encouraging, well-resourced church with plenty of volunteers and more than enough finances to impact their community and advance God's kingdom in the earth. And I have no doubt there's Christians like that here at Harvest. But here's a sad thought. If everyone was like some other Christians, there'd be no church at all. Now, which group are you in? Or where do you want to be? Because that'd be my challenge at the end of this message is where is God calling you to, to take a step up, to take a step deeper? I prayed and Ryan gave me a roster of everybody here, so I'm going to just read it and tell you which ones are in which group right now. <laughs> I was being sarcastic and facetious. Let me close with this verse. Because this really is my heart delivering this message today. It's not my part to tell you which group you're in. That's the Holy Spirit's part and... And may the word just, may you be open to receive from the Lord and from his word. This is what the Apostle Paul said. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect. And that word literally means mature in their relationship to Christ. I, I'll tell you, a pastor's heart, Ryan's heart, any leader's heart, wants to see every part, every member of the church thriving and abounding in their walk with the Lord. And they know that these things are important if you're going to thrive and abound. That, um, so that's what they, they don't want your money. They want to see you devoted to Christ and living a fruitful life and every part doing what God's called them to do. So with that, Ryan, I am going to turn things back to you. Thank you, Pastor Larry. Who else felt convicted in a good way from the Holy Spirit of God through Larry's words? Excellent. Thank you so much. What a great Sunday we've had, family. Amen? It's been a great Sunday. We'd like to invite you uh, to stay. We have a life group after service that meets in the Children's Church Connect area. Um, you can uh, attend that if you'd like to after service. If you'd like to receive prayer directly after my prayer, please come forward. There will be a, a couple there to greet you and pray with you. We also have a cake that uh, has Dan and Karen's lovely faces on it. <laughs> but after they're done praying with people, are going to come and partake of. And feel free to stay and have a piece of cake with them and just encourage them. So would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of the Word of God. Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, who you are, Jesus. Lord, that you came from heaven to earth and you laid down your life, your perfect life, so that we can receive forgiveness and grace. And Lord, all of what Larry said is just our way of giving back to what you have already done. Lord, we don't deserve it, but we, we've been given it. And we are so grateful, God. Jesus, we love you. I pray, Lord, that we would respond positively. Not, not out of a condemnation of like beating ourselves up, Lord. 
but of knowing that your Holy Spirit gently leads us to become more like you. Help us to take steps of obedience as you lead and direct, Lord, we pray. I bless your church this morning. I thank you for Dan and Karen. Bless them, God, for their faithfulness here, Lord. And uh, we just thank you, Lord, that you have a good future in store for Harvest Church in Frazee, Minnesota. We bless you and we thank you this morning. And all God's people said...